you have your Bible, we're turning to the Acts of the Apostles this morning, or sometimes it's called the Acts, or should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and we're turning to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. And whenever you find the place, we're just going to ask the Lord for his help. And you just take a moment and ask the Lord to speak to your heart uh, this morning. Acts chapters 27, and we'll just bow and ask the Lord to come and minister to our hearts. Father, we bow before thee again this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for the word of God before us this morning. And we pray that you indeed will break this word of God afresh to our heart. We pray for that manna from heaven to our soul. And we pray, Lord, over this gathering that you would just be pleased to put an angelic covering over this whole hall this morning. And we pray that you will just hedge us in with thyself. We pray, O God, that you will come and present yourself among us that you would give us ears to hear what you would have to say to every individual. Lord, I need your help this morning. We stand before thee in great need. We pray for that fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. We pray for that divine oil from above, that your word, Lord, would penetrate into our heart. And Father, that your Son would get all of the glory. We ask it in the Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible open in Acts chapter 27, just leave it, leave it open there. I want you to use your imagination with me this morning. I want you to imagine that we're walking along the rocky, sandy shores of the Mediterranean. I want you to get it into your imagination that we're just walking together. We may be talking, but we're walking together along the shore. After some time, there comes in view a ship, and it's docked in one of the little natural harbors that is scattered along the shoreline. The Bible calls it the Fair Havens. And as we stand and as we gaze and we look upon, I'm sure, this mighty vessel, suddenly there's a commanding cry. The main sail is hoisted, the moorings are loosed, and with the buzz of activity and the clamor of excitement, she makes her way out into the open Mediterranean Sea. She's laden with cargo, with soldiers, prisoners, passengers, and sailors. I'm sure on board there was women that had children. I'm sure that there was men, businessmen, maybe making their way back to Italy to see their family. 276 souls in all. The reason for her sudden launch, the reason for that cry of command and the sails to be hoisted and for the mooring to be loosed was that there was a general consensus upon board that They were far better to move 40 miles around the coast to the port of Phrenesi. And I want you to cast your eye to verse 12. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, 
If by any means they might attain to Phoenice and there to winter, which is an haven in Crete and lieth toward the southwest and the northwest. The motivation for this general consensus upon board this mighty ship was for two reasons. First of all, it was for comfort, and secondly, it was for convenience. The port that they had been harboring in for a number of days, the port that is called the Fair Havens, you know, they wanted something more convenient and more comfortable. And my dear believer, this morning I can tell you that many times you and I can make decisions on those two very same motivations. This decision that the captain made and the crew made to leave the port of Fair Havens was not only detrimental to the ship and it was disastrous to the cargo, but it was dangerous to the crew. And here they make sail and they set out of this little port out into the Mediterranean. Now I want you to get that into your mind. You can hear the creak of the ship. You could gaze up into the sky and you could see the, the, the wind beginning to blow into the sail. Now the port of Fair Haven was not only a good place for them to be, it would have been the best place for them to stay. They made a decision on the spur of the moment. And I want you to cast your eye just back to verse 12, or verse 10. And in verse 10, the Apostle Paul, he said, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage. And then in verse 11, he says, Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master of the owner of the ship more than these things which Paul had spoken. This captain on the ship, what had happened was he listened to the vote of the people. But there was one man that listened to the voice of God. And I can tell you, my dear people, today, even in the church of Jesus Christ, so many assemblies are falling and crumbling because they're listening to the vote of the people, but they're not listening to the voice of God. And as often been said from this platform and from many platforms, the church of Jesus Christ is not a democracy. It's a theocracy. We don't rule the church of Jesus Christ. We don't own it. But we do need to be men and women in touch with God to hear his voice. And here this mighty ship, she launches out with all of the buzz and excitement out into the open Mediterranean. Now if you cast your eye to verse 13. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence they sailed close by Crete. As they come out of this little natural inlet on the, on the coast of the Mediterranean, and now that the sails are up and the moorings have been loosed, and all the crew are busy, and they make their way out into the open Mediterranean, the south wind blows softly. 
And I'm sure the captain and the crew maybe looked at the Apostle Paul and maybe they steered and maybe they laughed and they said, Paul, I don't know what you were so concerned about telling us that this voyage was going to bring much hurt and much damage. My, the soft wind is blowing softly. It seemed to be all going so well. But the south wind is, is a deceptive wind. And my dear people, there's two applications this morning I want to leave before you. There's a mighty illustration of the church here. Because over the church of Jesus Christ, there has been a south wind that has been blowing, blowing for many years, and it's a wind of deception. And we have settled down on our lees, and we have rested on our laurels, and we pray, and we, we say our prayers, and we read our Bible, and we go through our religious activity, and we think all is well because the south wind is blowing softly. There's an application to the church here. In verse 14 it says, But not long after there arose a great tempest. And I want to tell you this morning, my dear people, as we go from 2022 into another year in the will of the Lord, I can tell you, and i do not saying this is a prophetical word, but I believe that there's a storm coming. I believe that there's something brewing in the devil's domain. And you and I, as the people of God, we need to prepare for that. The tempest came. The storm is never far away. And this vessel that went out into the Mediterranean, that word tempest there is the word where we get our English word typhoon. And often what we don't learn in the good days and in the sunshine experiences of life, many times we have to learn in the storm. The old proverb says that the tree with the deepest roots has faced the strongest of gales. And I believe that's a, a picture of the church today. All seems to be well, but there's a storm that is brewing. And there's very, very few of the people of God have discernment to see that on the horizon there's something coming. The clouds are gathering. The tempest is beginning to blow. But Paul had perception. There was one man with discernment. I tell you, it's another picture of the church of Jesus Christ. If you cast your eye to verse 15, and it says, And when the ship was caught, and it seems today that the church of Jesus Christ is caught, caught with lukewarmness in the world, and caught in apathy and carnality. And as we were in the prayer meeting last night, and my heart is still burning from that prayer meeting last night, my, we were crying unto God, Lord, would you lift the spirit of apathy from the church? The coldness that pervades, the lukewarmness that seems to be strangling your people. Oh God, will you lift that? In the church, it seems to be that she's not only going into a storm, but she's caught. In verse 15, it says, they couldn't bear up into the wind. They were facing the gale, and the ship couldn't gain ground. She was in reverse. What a picture of the church today. And my, with all of the efforts and with the seals hoisted, my, the gale is blowing and all that we seem to do. We seem to be losing more ground every day, every week, every month, every year. In verse 16, there's another picture of the church because it says there that we had much work to come about the boat. And you think of all of the work I was praying yesterday, even in my own home, and I was thinking of all of the open airs, and I thank God for them. I think of all of the churches today that will preach and sing and testify and serve and all of the thousands and maybe millions of gospel tracts that have been given out over the month. And there's much work. 
We know what to do. We're in our little place and we're busy and we're striving and we're trying our best to make the ship go forward. But we seem to be every day losing ground. What a picture. In verse 17, you'll get another picture. It says that they used helps. And then the church of Jesus Christ were brought in helps because we're void of the presence of God. So many assemblies, there's no sense of God. So we bring in, we bring in the word, we bring in the testimonies, we bring in all the things that will attract to draw people in. And we're using helps. But those things don't seem to do anything. In verse 17 it says that they strike up the seal. And what that really means is they cut the line that was holding the main seal. And what they did in the tempest, the gear was blowing. And they were losing ground and the sailors came. And they must have cut the ropes that were holding the seal. And they just let the ship drift. Out in the Mediterranean. Out in this mighty typhoon. And the wind was contrary against them. And this ship with 270 passengers on board just drifting along the Mediterranean. And my dear people, that's like so many of God's people today, just to drift. I'll drift in and I'll drift out. I don't really have any purpose in my life. I don't really have any ambitions for God. I don't really have any goals for God. I have no real spiritual aspirations. I'm just adrift on the, on the sea of life. And I trust this morning that doesn't include you. I trust that you've got a burden and a vision and a passion in your heart to go on and go through with God and the messages that we've heard Sunday night after Sunday night in the school, that they wouldn't just be lectures and they wouldn't just be information, but that would be a seedbed for our spirituality, that we would grow in the things of God. The Bible says that let us be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. And the more light that we get, the more accountable we are to that light. And if you've been in the meetings and God has been speaking to you and laying uh, things in your heart and uh, areas in your life that you need to get right, and God has been shining the light of his word into your heart, there's one thing that I can only tell you to do today, and that is obey the light that God gives. Trust and obey. What a picture of the church. And then in verse 18 and verse 19, they, they had the light and the load and read it yourself, the stories gripping and they had to cast all the cargo overboard and then they, they stripped the ship of all of its tackle and they threw it over into the Mediterranean. And you know, that's exactly what the church of Jesus Christ needs to do. We need to strip all of their tradition and all of the, all of the outward show and we need to get back to the biblical basis of the house of God just to get it back. And while the storm was raging... And while there was much work and they used helps and they were adrift and they were losing ground, there was one man who said, I believe God. I believe God. And I'm glad today, even in this assembly, I'm so glad that there's a group of people and they were crying unto God. And you know what I've been saying and many of us were saying in the prayer meeting, we just said it over and over again. I believe God. I believe him. I believe him. I believe that God is the God of revival. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that there's so much more to salvation than just being saved and going to heaven. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that God can come and be intimate with us, that we can walk with him like Enoch. He didn't even have a Bible. We never read of him being in a prayer meeting. But Enoch walked with God for 300 years. 
And here in the boat, in the storm, there was a little remnant of three people. There was Paul, there was Dr. Luke, and there was Aristarchus. And they believed God. And I'm glad, my dear people, that revival always starts with the remnant. And I pray that you will get into that remnant and I pray that you'll pray, Lord, enlarge my coast, enlarge my appetite for God, enlarge, Lord, and stretch my spiritual capacity. Lord, move in my heart. Will you break down every barrier? Lord, I want you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I want to move on with God. I want to be in that place that whenever the wind of revival blows, that I'm there for you to use. That's the first application. There's the application to the church. But then, of course, there's the application to the saint as the individual. As I'm sure we all know what it is to be in the fair havens of life, and we, we are in those sunshine days, and we're enjoying the presence of the Lord, and we, we move out for God, and we, we step out, and we, we hoist the sails, and we move out in obedience. And the south wind is blowing softly, and all seems to be well. And it doesn't take very long for the gales to blow. It doesn't take very long in the Christian experience for the storms to rise. And this storm was a relentless storm. And you read on down through the chapter and you'll discover that it was for 14 days and night. They never saw the sun or the moon or the stars. For 14 days, two whole weeks, they were shaken and rocked from one side to the other, back and forward, up and down. The Bible says that all hope was lost and they were adrift in the open sea. I'm sure they were scared. I'm sure they were sick. I'm sure they were shaken to the very core. And I believe there's believers in this meeting this morning and you're in the very same situation. And you've stepped out for God and maybe you've heard the messages on surrender and yielding and on the altar and going through with God and you've maybe stood to your feet and Sunday nights have gone by and you've made a commitment to God and you say, yes, Lord, I want all that you have for me. I want to go through, Lord. I want you to come. I want you to fill. I want you to direct. I want you to use me, Lord. I want you to do that. And then the, the gales have started to blow. And it doesn't take very long. It doesn't take very long for the enemy to come in opposition. I think this was the worst storm that Paul was ever in. He was in many storms before because if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about three other storms that he was in in a boat. But we never read the details of those storms, but he read the detail of this storm. And I say again, this must have been the worst storm that Paul was ever in. I think it was the worst storm that the, the Apostle Luke was ever in because Luke was that man, the disciple that was in the boat when the Lord Jesus was sleeping in the hinder part of the boat and it says the waves covered the ship and they came and they came to the Lord Jesus and said, carest thou not that we perish? And the Lord Jesus arose and he says, oh, how is it that ye have no faith? And I think whenever Luke looked back over his life, he said this storm in the Mediterranean was far worse than any other storm. I had been in. All hope was gone. And I wonder, is that an epitaph that I could write over some family here this morning? And some individual here, and you're sitting here, and we're so glad to see you. But you feel that all hope is gone. 
You feel that you can't go on anymore. You feel that the, the wind is contrary and the storms are rising and you're losing ground and you say, oh my God, how long is this storm going to go on? They couldn't see the sun or the stars and they needed the sun for navigation. They didn't know where they were. And they drifted 500 miles off course. Maybe that's where you are this morning. The storm is blowing and it's the worst storm that you've ever been in. And no one else knows anything about it. My text this morning is in the 29th verse of this chapter. Then fearing that lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern. Two weeks ago I spoke to you about five stones in the bag. And I want to talk to you in the remaining moments about four anchors in the storm. Four anchors that you and I will need to, to ride out the storm as they rise against us and they blow and the gales come. My a tempest unlike any other tempest because long before the sailors dropped the anchors into the cold, chilly winter waters of the Mediterranean, Paul had dropped four spiritual anchors of his own. And you and I will need them because Paul talks about those in the little epistle of Timothy that have made shipwreck of their faith. And so many believers, they start out well and they they think it's a a Christian experience of just lying in flowery beds of ease. But my dear people, we're in a battle. We face the world from without, the flesh from within, the devil from around, and we face that threefold foe. And unless you and I get grounded in the things of God, we'll make shipwreck. And I'm sure we all know individuals and believers that used to run so well with God, but this morning... They hit the rocks. You know, one of the things about the Titanic, she had anchors that weighed over 16 ton each. But one of the tragedies about the Titanic is this, that while she had anchors, they never used them. And if you ever get a chance, go onto the internet and you'll see the picture of the Titanic lying away down there in the bottom of of the Atlantic Ocean and the anchors still on the deck. They didn't use the anchors. And because of that, there was shipwreck, and that mighty vessel is lying there to this very day. You see, my dear people, God always tests our faith. Our faith is a wonderful thing. The Bible says that our faith is treasured, is precious, because without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Our faith is not only treasured, that it's triumphant, because this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Hallelujah. But while our faith is triumphant, and while our faith is treasured, our faith will always be tested. And it's never tested on the sunshine days. It's never really tested on the mountaintop experiences. It always takes the crucible, the storms, the trials, the afflictions, to test our faith. Peter was writing to the believers that were scattered across Asia. He said, the trial of your faith is much more precious than of gold. James, a half-brother of the Lord Jesus, he said, knowing the trying of your faith, it worketh patience. Now, what was these four spiritual anchors that 
I suggest to you this morning that Paul dropped in his own soul long before the sailors and long before the crew dropped the anchors on this ship into the Mediterranean. What was one of the anchors that Paul, this man of God that had been so through much, what was it that kept him steadfast? Well, I suggest to you this morning that one of them was the anchor of the salvation of his soul. And I tell you, my dear people, this morning it's a wonderful thing to be saved. It's a wonderful thing to be a child of God. Is it any but wonder that Paul could later write, he said, we have an anchor for the soul that is both steadfast and sure. And here the apostle Paul, he dropped the eternal anchor because the Lord Jesus Christ is the author of eternal salvation. And maybe there's individuals here this morning and you're not saved and you're still in the world and you're enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season and you're drinking and you're smoking and you're indulging yourself in the sins and you're in the little fair haven of sin. But I want to tell you that there's a storm coming and it's called the storm of conviction and God will come on judgment day and unless you've got the anchor of salvation down, I'll tell you what'll happen. You'll make shipwreck. I think the Apostle Paul, while he stood on this ship, and while the, while the waves rose up to heaven and went down to the depths and there was the creak of the ship, and men and women were shaking and reeling like drunken men for 14 days and nights. I think above the roar of the waves and the squeal of the wind, I can hear a man sing. I can hear him begin to sing when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul he had anchored down my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is kneeled to the cross and I bear it no more oh praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul I think I can hear him sing, We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. I think if her sister Pat was on the boat with, with Paul, I think the two of them would have signed together as her sister sings sometime in the prayer meeting, I'm anchored in Jesus. The storms of life I'll breathe, I'm anchored in Jesus, I'll fear no wind or wave. I'm anchored in Jesus, for he hath power to save. Oh, bless God, I'm anchored on the rock of ages. Are you anchored this morning? Are you sure that you're saved? I'm not saying this morning that you're backslidden now. Because there's many people in the church of Jesus Christ and the devil has deluded them. And they're holding on to a profession or onto a decision or even a verse of scripture and they're convinced that they're saved. But my dear people, whenever the wind begins to blow and the storms come, you need to make sure that it's the real anchor of salvation that you have. I think if we don't hear him sing on the deck, I think we could hear him quote the verse of scripture that he penned himself to the church at Rome. I think as he walked up and down the deck and the waves were coming and the gale and in the darkness and in, in that situation where they were adrift in the Mediterranean, I think I can hear him say, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? 
Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, or powers, or things present, or things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, shall separate me from the love of God. Oh, what an anchor. Make sure you've got the anchor down, young man. Because the port of fair haven doesn't belong to its past. I think there's another anchor that this man had, and it's not only the salvation of his soul. I think Paul must have dropped down in his Christian experience the anchor of the sovereignty of God. Because Paul got to the place in his life where he knew that whenever he was in the will of God, that nothing could touch him or harm him unless God allowed it. A.W. Pink said concerning the sovereignty of God, it's not just that God is on the throne. Charles is on the throne in England, but he's not in control. The sovereignty of God means that the Lord Jesus is not only on the throne, it means that he's in control of every situation, every circumstance, every gale. Oh, I'm glad this morning, my dear people, Paul had the anchor down. He knew that, my dear people, his times were in his hands. And not a shaft can hit until the God of heaven feels fit. You see, there was a purpose for this storm. And you'll read the story and you'll discover that they landed on a little island. It's a present-day island of Malta. And there was a man that was dying. He was sick. He was called Publius. And Paul preached to him and he got saved. And Paul was there for three months. And while this storm was sent... God used it. And Paul held on to the anchor of the sovereignty of God. Oh, Lord, you will not allow me to go through anything more than I'm able to bear. And my dear people this morning, whatever your storm you're in, whatever trial you're in, whether it's in the home or whether it's in the health, I want to tell you God has permitted it. There's a reason for it. Not to the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly. Will God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why the dark threads are just as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned? He not only had the anchor of the salvation of his soul and the sovereignty of God, he had the anchor of the sureness of his word. I haven't got time to go into it this morning, but you read this chapter and read it on your knees and you'll discover that God gave Paul three promises in the storm. And while all hope seemed to be lost and the outward circumstances seemed to be against him, Paul held on to the word of God. That's it. To stand on the promise. As Paul could say, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as he told me. Dear parent, in the meeting this morning, God maybe give you a promise for your child, a promise for your family, and it seems this morning so far from being fulfilled. And matter of fact, it seems it's going in the opposite direction. Maybe there's a promise for your ministry or for the future in your life, and it seems that all hope seems to be gone. Oh, my dear people, that we would have the spirit of Paul when he says, I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Take God and believe him at his word and to hold on to the promises of God. And is it any but wonder later on in his life he could say, faithful is he that promised. He's faithful. But not only is it the salvation of his soul, and Paul dropped it, and he hit the rock. 
And not only was it the sovereignty of God, and Paul dropped that anchor and it went down onto the rock, and he was safe. And then he got that mighty anchor of the word of God, that the promises of God are yea and amen, and God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he, hath he not said, and shall he not do it? Hath he not spoken, and shall he not make it good? My dear people, God will always keep his word. But there was one other anchor that he dropped, and that was the sureness of his presence. And while men and women in the boat were heart-feared, and while I'm sure their hearts were failing them because of fear, and the tempest and the gale, and all hope seemed to be gone, my Paul could say, there stood beside me this night an angel of the Lord. And down in the storm and down in the trial and maybe even on the deck of the ship, cold and wet and shaken and rocked from side to side, my, there was an intervention from heaven. And Paul knew all about the presence of the Lord. And whatever storm you're in, my dear believer this morning, let me tell you, you'll never go through a storm alone. You'll never go through it alone. Whenever Paul was down in Rome in the prison cell just after this experience, and I'm sure it was cold, and I'm sure it was damp. He got his pen, and I'm sure with tears coming out of his eyes and his hands shaking, he said, all men forsook me. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me, and he strengthened me. In the words of the Lord Jesus, lo, I am with you always, I'm sure echoed and rang in the ears of the apostles. Men were heart-feared. And there was Paul could say, I believe Believe God. That's the circumstantial storms of life, and we all face them. And there's many of you here this morning, and that's where you are. Well, I want to tell you from the heart of God, you need to drop the anchor. Because if you don't, you'll make shipwreck. And you'll start to question God, and you'll start to blame God, and then you'll start to forget about prayer and reading the Scriptures, and you'll turn it all away, and you'll make shipwreck of your faith. But put the sovereignty of God down, the salvation of your soul down, put down the sureness of His Word, put down the presence of God, and I'll tell you, you'll ride out any storm in your life. But there's not only the circumstantial storms in life, there's the satanical storms. I'm not too sure if many of us here know anything about them. But the devil can come against a man or a woman or a family or even an assembly and there can be the satanical storms that can get, begin to blow. There's a man in the Bible named Job. He was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there was a day in Job's life whenever there was a satanical storm that began to blow on the horizon. And the soft wind that blew softly for so long was gone. And the satanical storm came and it touched his business. And he looked out over the hills, he saw 7,000 sheep dead, he saw 3,000 camels, he saw 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, all gone in one day. And if it happened in Northern Ireland, there'd be an inquiry. All of the scientists would be there, but the satanical storm started to blow. And if that wasn't enough, whenever the servants came and told Job about his business, there was a man came running and told him about his beloved, seven, th seven sons and three daughters, all gone. I don't think we know much about it. And I'm sure Job, with the broken heart, 
He felt the wind in the sails. And the satanical storm was well nigh on. And after that, if that wasn't bad enough with the business and with his beloved, his very body from the crown of his head to the sole of his foot burst out in boils and then his wife. His helpmate, the one that was to ride out the storm with him, she said, curse God and die. I can tell you it was some satanical storm. And Job, he had the anchors down. He had, I'm sure, many other anchors, but he had at least those four anchors. And he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Hallelujah. He said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I know that my Redeemer liveth. And I shall see him. And there's times in our lives when that satanical storm will blow. It happened for Daniel. It happened for the three Hebrew children that were cast into the fire. And every one of them, my dear people, had the anchor down. And if you don't have the anchors down in your Christian life, whenever the storm will blow, you're going to make shipwreck. And maybe this morning you're not that overly far from the rocks. You're maybe not that far. And then, of course, there's not only the circumstantial storms and the satanical storms, there can be the medical storms. And you get the letter in the post and there's, there's a diagnosis from a doctor and this, the result of the CT scan has come back. And you open the letter and you, you, you see the word cancer there. I can tell you that's a storm. That's a storm. The medical storm's blowing now. Maybe Parkinson's, maybe whatever ailment it may be. And the storm begins to blow. I want to tell you, my dear people, you'll need to have the anchors down. They say to me now that one and two of us will have cancer before we die. And you'll need the anchor. And Paul had the anchor down because he had the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him. And three times he prayed, Oh God, would you take this away from me? Oh Lord, I can't cope. Oh Lord, will you help me? The burden is too heavy. And the word that came back from God, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul dropped the anchors of his soul down again to the rock bed. And he said, I will therefore rather glory in my infirmity. For these light afflictions which are but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Oh, my dear people, Hezekiah knew all about it. Read your Bible and you'll discover there was many new about the medical storms. And then, of course, there's the mental storms. (laughs) And I know of at least a few people in this assembly that suffer with depression. I'm sure there's many, many more and maybe you've concealed it and maybe you weep at night and maybe the language of your heart has been, oh, that I had wings like a dove, that I might just fly away and be at rest. For I would hasten my escape from the windy tempest of the storm. Mind you, it's a storm. The psalmist David was there. Elijah was there. Spurgeon was there. My David penned, he said, oh, he said, my tears are my meat day and night. And then he took his pen and he began to write, Oh, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Hope thou in God, for I will yet praise him for the help of his countenance. He had the anchors down. I think Isaiah was there because Isaiah said, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. 
And maybe there's more people here than what I would care to think and the cloud of depression is hanging over you. And you can hardly read or you can hardly pray and you can't even get out of bed in the morning. And anyone else would tell you to pull your boots up and get on with your life. The Bible would just simply say, drop the anchor or you'll make shipwreck. You're heading towards the rock now. Then, of course, very quickly as we close, there's not only the medical storms and the satanical storms and circumstantial storms, there's the parental storms. And some of you young families here this morning, you've got a little family, a little brood of children under your wing. And you look at the world and you look at the school system and you look at society and you look at the wickedness all around us and the depravity and the evil and the storm is brewing in your family and the children are getting to that age. What do they do? How can I discipline them? How can I control them? And the storm is starting to blow and the, the port of Fairhaven is long gone and the south wind that blew softly, it's gone and now they're doing things that you never thought they would do. And they're going places where you never thought they would go. And you know there was two people just like that. They brought, they brought into the world a lovely baby boy. He was brought up in a community that was hated, like, hated by the world. Just like the church today. He was born with a death sentence upon his head. They didn't know what to do. The, the storm was well and truly on. And it says of Abraham's mother and father, Amram and Jacobed, that through faith, through faith that they hid the child for three months, for they feared not the wrath of the king. And they built a little ark of bulrushes and they took it down to the river bed, down to the river bank, down to the Nile. And my, that little boy, the darling of their bosom, they had to let him go. And I'm sure we haven't got there with Emily yet. She's still in the port of Fairhaven. But there's times in our life as parents we have to let them go. We have to let them go. And I'm sure our mother, his mother and father stood at the banks of the Nile with that little baby boy and say, God, you gave him to us. Lord, he's your child. And they pushed the little ark out into the river. And by faith, they did it by faith. And they dropped the anchors down, and you know the story how Pharaoh's daughter was there, and she heard the cry of the boy, and his own mother got his, got her, she got her boy back, and she nursed him, and she so influenced Moses that whenever Moses came of age, it says he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And he became a man of God. And my dear parent this morning, as you see your children just rising, I want to tell you, trust him. Trust him. Those children that you have, God give them to you. You give him the responsibility of saving them now. You can't do it. It'll not matter how many times you preach them. It'll not matter how many verses you give them. You're going to have to let them go and trust God. And I can tell you he's well able to be trusted. I can tell you there's one other storm. And it wouldn't be right to end this meeting without talking about it. I can tell you the day that the lowly Nazarene, he walked up the hill of Calvary. 
And he bearing his cross went forth. And they jeered the crowd and his, his own friends had forsaken him. Isolated and alone, the Son of God who never sinned, never told a lie, never thought a wrong thought. My, he bearing his cross went forth. And whenever they stripped him and scourged him and spat on him, and the spittle still dripping from his blessed face, and his visage so marred more than any man. Hark, I hear the dull blow of the hammer swung low. <laughs> oh, they're kneeling, my Lord, to the tree. And the cross they upraise as the multitude gaze on the blessed Lamb of dark Calvary. There was no sun that day. There was no help that day. Near the Lord Jesus, he went down into the deep where there was no standing, and the billows of God's wrath, wave after wave, gale after gale, moment after moment, hour after hour. I tell you what a storm. Well, may we all stand to our feet and say with the hymn writer, O Christ, what burdens bowed thy head. Our load was laid on thee. Thou stoodest in the sinner's stead didst bear all ill for me. The tempest's awful voice was heard. My, it was. O Christ, it broke on thee. Thy open bosom was my ward. It braved the storm for me. A victim led. Thy blood was shed. Now there's no load, no load, no load, no load for me. I tell you, my dear people, whenever his blessed father turned his face away, I'm glad he had the anchors down. And the Bible says as a close in the book of Isaiah, there is a man that is a hiding place from the wind. A covet from the tempest and a refuge from the storm. Oh, safe to the rock that is higher than I. My dear people, I have just given to you what God has given to me. But whatever you do, drop the anchor because you could make shipwreck before this day is out. Get anchored in Jesus. We're going to stand to our feet and we're going to sing. And you've been listening so well this morning. We're going to stand to our feet and we're going to sing together 290. 290 because it wouldn't be right to leave this meeting this morning on a note of defeat because the Lord Jesus, I can tell you, he went through the storm. He defeated death and hell and sin in the grave. And I think it would only be right of us this morning to stand to our feet and sing "Tis the grandest theme. The grandest theme through the ages run. Tis the grandest theme for a mortal tongue. Tis the grandest theme that the world o'er sung. Our God is able to deliver thee. Amen.